0: And for the rest of us, would you turn in your Bibles with me to uh, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I I don't like... uh, So our our topic today is uh, race and racial issues, a biblical perspective. Um, Can I just give you three stories um, from my past um, that uh, I think... I think can give us a a little bit of an emphasis of um, some of the struggles that we may have today. I I can remember uh, the first time I was walking down a street, and I was probably about uh, 11 or 12 years old. And uh, I was heading to a park um, in our neighborhood, and um, a car passed by us with um, some uh, young teenagers in it. And... They yelled out a name, a label, and that was the first time that I actually had been called that label. Um, it kind of shocked me, caught me off guard. And I can remember that it's like, what, what did I do that would cause somebody who didn't know me to, to label me something just based on, a, I guess, the tone of my skin? That was probably around 11 or 12 years old. I can remember a second situation where I had, uh, you know that I have a counseling practice. And I had um, a young lady call me up on that counseling practice. And she had mentioned the fact that uh, she wanted to meet with me. Um, She was having some issues with anxiety. And so she had gone to a series of other counselors before. And she wanted to make sure that I was going to be the right counselor for her. Uh, After a period of time on the phone, we had an opportunity to talk, and she said that uh, she was pretty comfortable with me and that she thought that I would be the right counselor for her. So uh, she was a Caucasian lady, and um, when she came to her appointment, I can remember walking out of my office to meet with her, the African American, and uh, I walked down and I said, hey, good morning, Sally, we'll use that name. Good morning, Sally. I, I appreciate you coming to our office. Come on in. And she said, Oh, I'm sorry, I have an appointment with Dr. Long. That's me. <laughs> uh, that is me. Um, Dr. Long, yeah, I'm the one, yes. And she, sa- she you could see she kind of went... F- um, all the color went out of her skin. <laughs> and she was... Um, yeah, she, she was white, but <laughs> really white. And I tell you, um, I wish she were the first client that this had happened to. She, she was actually a pretty honest client. Honest with her bigotry, but honest. She said that the only black person that she knew, she didn't know any, and the only ones she knew about were the ones that she saw on TV on the news, causing problems, and I don't think I could work with you. And I said to her, I said, you know, what has changed from the time that we had a conversation on the phone to the day? The only difference is melatonin. It's just a little bit different. I'm a little bit darker. Other than that, if you came in blind, nothing would have changed. Third scenario I want to give you. So I had a local pastor tell me that... I could not minister in a culture that was different than me, a white culture, because I'm African American. That I could not pastor a church because my skin was darker than the people that I was serving. Now, in those three scenarios, and I can give you countless, and those that are of color can give countless illustrations of struggles today. And what I want to try to do today is this. We've been looking at these series of issues today. And what we've been trying to do is to understand what the scriptures say about these issues. We talked about sexuality. Pastor Doug got an opportunity to talk about that. And we've talked about work. And today I get the opportunity to talk about race. I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. But I guess I do. Because some things have to change, right? So what I would like to do is to, to look at this issue of race From three perspectives today and then one next week. The first perspective, I want to try to understand the problem today. And I want to talk about hope. See, I believe that the gospel, if we truly understand it, changes, transforms, unifies, brings hope and healing. Problem, hope. And then the third thing we want to talk about today is change. What needs to change? Next week, Lord willing, we'll get an opportunity to talk about how we could put that into practice so that this church and these people and this community can be impacted by the gospel and so that it doesn't matter that all creation sings praise to the Holy King. That is an amazing time. So I want you to think about the problem. The problem, I think, starts with this. There are, there's a misconception that is in this world. Look with me in Genesis chapter one, that when God created um, this world, God created, and every day he created, he said, it was good, it was good, it was good. But in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, he said, 26, he said this, then God said, let us make man in our own image, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit so that you are created to be a reflection of the Trinity. Let us make man humanity in our own image. And let, us, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So there's this misconception today that that there are multiple races. What we want to try to do is to dispel that issue, that all of us, whether you look darker or lighter, the reality is this, we are part of one race. One race that have come from a historical parentage uh, Adam and Eve, that they were our four parents. They're all together. We're all united. We are all connected with one another. We're all related to one another. Race in and of itself is not a, it's not a biblical term. It's a term that has been created today and what we want to try to do is to flesh it out. So I'm trying to figure out how do you communicate about a term that has been mis- misinterpreted and misunderstood. How do you use How do you talk to that issue without using the term, race? Because the Bible's argument of race is this, that we're all created. There's a human race, that there's an animal world, and then there's a human world. So how do you create it? There are racial divisions today. If we're going to use the word race to talk about color differences, there are racial divisions today. And the reason why we have divisions today is because we have divisions not just on race, we have divisions throughout. After God created humanity, he gave them a pattern. He says, I want you to follow me. And in Genesis chapter 3, he says, um, we find the narrative continuing. Now the servant was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? You shall not eat of the tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good for evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... And it was a delight to the eyes, and it was desire to make one wise. She took its fruit and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So they had this, God had set them in this paradise together. Man and woman, humanity, our foreparents were set in this beautiful garden. And they rebelled against God. And the reason why we have divisions today is because of this rebellion that happened in Genesis chapter 3. Every division, every human breakup, every discord, every marriage breakup, every struggle that you ever see, this side of heaven is a byproduct of this division that we have in Genesis chapter 3. We have a humanity in God who's been separated. We have humanity in nature that's been separated. We have humanity and humanity that has been separated. I want you to consider this, that sin is, is deep, Sin is not just what we do on the surface. Sin goes deep into our hearts and into our lives. But sin is also deceptive. Most of us struggle today with a problem with a biblical viewpoint. We look at the world through the world's lens and the world's viewpoint. We don't look at it through a biblical viewpoint because what sin does is it deceives us. It gets us to believe something that is true when it is not. But sin also is so destructive. What it causes is division. What sin wants to do is to bring a breakup between humanity and humanity, humanity and God, humanity and the natural world. So when we look at the issue of race and racial issues today, it's so important to recognize that part of the discord that we're having and the lack of unity that we're having is just a part of the fallen nature. It's not even about tones of skin as much. It's about the fact that there's something within us that we're elevating more than God and his word. There's some misconceptions that are out there when you think of race. I want you to consider not only are there misconceptions when they come out, um, but there's also this great chaos and this confusion that goes on. Keep going into Genesis chapter 4. Though we haven't gotten to what we would call racial issues yet, we do have an issue of division. Coming out of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were given a standard and they did not fulfill that standard. And because of sin, there was a ripple effect that affected God and humanity and humanity and humanity. That Adam did not protect his wife. He went against God. He went against his wife. And now they're children. Verse chapter four. Now Adam and Eve, his wife, And she conceived and bore Cain and saying, I have gotten a man with the help of God. And again, she bore a brother, I'm sorry, she bore his brother Abel. And now Abel was the keeper of the sheep and Cain was the worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to God an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought a firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, He had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. A desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Will you remember the rest of the story? Because what Cain did in his anger and his rebellion was he attacked his brother and killed him. And right out of this garden piece of unity, there is division, there's separation, and now there's death. A brother killing a brother. Doesn't that sound familiar today? As we continue through, we see heritage after heritage, but look with me in Genesis chapter 6. So as, as man starts to multiply, and they're living hundreds of years, and in Genesis 5, we get a list of people that were living hundreds upon hundreds of years. This world is starting to be populated. There was a corruption that happened. Genesis chapter 6, it says, When men began to multiply on the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of God. They were very attractive, and they took wives to themselves. Verse five and the law the loss i 'm sorry, the Lord saw the wickedness of man on the earth was great, and that every intention of his heart was only evil continually, that God had created out of two people a race of people, a human race. And this race of people, because sin had corrupted their thoughts and corrupted their attitude, had corrupted their words and their actions, it created a separation. There was a great depth of that um, sin. There was a great deception of that sin. And there was a great division of that sin. That sin continued to divide person after person so that God looked down on humanity. He says, every thought and every intention of their heart was only evil continually. And God, choosing to rid the earth of this, we have Noah and his flood. Now, Noah um, builds his ark. In building his ark, he is preparing for destruction. He is telling the people that are around him that God is going to bring destruction upon humanity. And then God brought destruction. He took every life outside of the family that was there and then in this family he had sons and out of those sons came all of humanity again repopulated the world so why am i going through that i'm going through it for this reason if we believe the bible and i do if we believe that there is one race of people which i do that if we believe that we are sons of adam which i do and if we believe that we are byproducts of noah and his family which I do, that brings us to one person, ultimately. See, if we have multiple races of people, there is salvation to only one person, the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to consider first that there's a great misconception, and second, there's a great misunderstanding. Look with me in Genesis chapter nine. After, after the fall, I mean, after the flood, What we have is that God tells Noah and his family kind of the same thing he told Adam and Eve. Verse one, God blessed Noah and his family and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heaven and upon every creeping thing on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you as I give it green um, plants and everything else. Verse 11, I will establish my covenant with you and I will never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood and never again shall there shall be a flood that destroys all the earth. Verse 13, I've set my bow in the clouds as a sign of this covenant between me and you. So what happened is this, that God, through the ones that were saved on Noah's ark, was going to repopulate this world. Noah had three sons. His son Ham, his son Shem, and his son Japheth. There, there's a viewpoint today that looks at a curse that occurs. If you look down at uh, verses 18 and following, there's a curse that seems to have happened. Ham, verse 22, the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Apparently, sin just continued. After Noah's ark, Noah got drunk. Noah is naked and his son comes in and sees his father in this drunken condition, Ham. Today, there is a viewpoint, there's a theology out there that teaches that Black people came out of Ham's curse, because Ham was cursed because he saw his father, and instead of showing respect for him, for his father, he looked upon his father in his nakedness, did not respect him. And there is a viewpoint that teaches that all people of color have come out of this curse of Shem, a uh, curse of Ham. So the white race comes out of Shem and Japheth. The black race comes out of Ham. And so after that, what happens is that there's a viewpoint that teaches that black people are cursed by God. They were cursed under Ham, and therefore we are an inferior race of people. Chapter 11 tower of Babel. So now what happens next in human history is that God has been populating this world and there's so many people in it. And humanity, instead of taking God's call to multiply the earth and spread out through the earth, humanity does what? Humanity stays in one place and considers building a tower to God and wants to act like God. So in Genesis chapter 11, we see the whole earth had one language and same words. As the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone. And bitumen and mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with the tops of the heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we disperse over the earth. And the Lord came down to the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are only one people. And they have all one language. And this is the only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they do or propose to do. Will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their languages that they mis- un- may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from all the earth and left off the building. So what happened is this, that God had set out two people, humanity, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve failed to follow God's command. Adam and Eve bore sons who destroyed one another. They had other sons and daughters that destroyed one another so that there is a um, sin that goes through all of humanity. Then they have a group of people that are destroyed by a flood. And then out of that flood, there is still more division. And then... Now there's a group of people that are coming together with one language saying that they're going to go against God. They're going to rebel against God. So what God did was he confused humanity and caused a separation some look at this time to say once again that that is why you have the separation of races and what we call races or cultures today and in all likelihood that's exactly what happened some went to the north went some went to the east some went to the west some went to the south as they spread out but many today will use this conception to say that that means that some are less than others it's a huge mistake What God was looking to try to do was to spread humanity throughout the world. There is a seed of separation of racism that we will see throughout the scriptures. There is a seed of separation of humanity. You will see it throughout the Old Testament. You will see it in the New Testament. That there's a separation of people externally when God was looking to unify people internally by one. In the 1800s, there was a man, his name was Charles Darwin. He wrote a book, The Origin of the Species and Natural Selection, The Preservation of the Favorite Race in a Struggle. Out of Darwinism, what we have is evolution. Evolution's argument is that the stronger will take over the weaker, the stronger will survive the undercurrent or the subtitle of his book, The Favored Race, many people have taken that viewpoint to talk about racism today and separation today. So I guess I ask this question, where where, do racism, where does racism come from? Where does the separation come from that we would see somebody as better or worse than ourselves? I I think one of the first places it comes from is the issue of pride. See, in pride, what I do is I elevate myself above somebody else. Every sin does that. Whether it's the sin of anger or the sin of hatred or the sin of murder, I am elevating myself above somebody else. So if we struggle with what we call racial issues today, more often than not, it's the fact that I'm elevating myself above somebody else. But where else does racist attitudes come from or difficult attitudes come from? I think it comes from fear. See, it's not just the fact that I am elevating myself above you. It's the fact that I'm afraid of you. That we are oftentimes afraid of something that is unlike us something that is different from us. We feel comfortable with people or things that are like us. So if we bring a culture in that's radically different, oftentimes that leads to fear. I think another reason why we struggle with racist attitudes at times is the fact that we feel inferior. See, if I really understood who I was in Christ... And if you really understood who you were in Christ, and if I didn't live my life based on inferiority feelings, I wouldn't have to make somebody else feel worse so that I could feel better. I think sometimes we struggle with racist attitudes because we just have hatred in our hearts. See, why is it that God would have to tell us to love God and love others more than we love ourselves? Because there's something within me that elevates me and dismisses dismisses you. Look with me in John chapter 4. Throughout the Old Testament, you have God's chosen people and they are waging war um, against God, ultimately. God is trying to give them blessing upon blessing and what they've done is they've rejected God and God has been merciful and gracious to continue to pursue his chosen people. In John chapter 4, We've been here before. There is a woman that is at the well in Samaria. Verse uh, verse 1, now when Jesus had learned of a Pharisee, um, had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although himself he did not baptize any but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So when he had come to the town of uh, Samaria and Sychor, near the field of Jacob that was given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting upon the well. It was the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came and drew water. And Jesus said to him, uh, said to her, give me a drink. You know, in this story, what Jesus does is that Jesus Most Jewish people would go around Samaria, would not go through Samaria, because Samaritans were were people that were of mixed race. They were people that were different than Jews. And Jews had no dealings with these people. There was a racist viewpoint that was occurring during this time, that they saw not a person, they saw a cultural difference, and therefore there was a separation. And Jesus had to go through here. Jesus planned to go through Samaria to meet with this one woman. Why? I believe that what Jesus was looking to do was to say that there is no longer separation between racial, so-called racial lines, that we are one, that anyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is part of his family. So he goes after her. He meets with this woman He says to her in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water that he is giving will be thirsty, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of living water. What Jesus is saying is this, that guys, stop looking externally. You need to look externally to me as the only one, look to me as the savior, look to me as the one that's going to unify, that all creation will come together under the one Christ. But she still didn't get it. She's still looking on an earthly level. And then finally he says in verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth and the father is seeking such people to worship him and god is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth amazing thing that happens after this is that this woman hears this gospel message he hears she hears of what christ has done for her and she says i got to tell somebody and she goes into her people and she says in, in verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony, that what God was doing through Christ is this. It's not about racial or cultural lines anymore. It is about the divide is whether you trust me or you don't. And if you trust me, you're part of my family. It talks about the fact that Jesus actually spent many days there with them. Jesus lodged with them and connected with them. I want you to consider today that um, there's so many missed opportunities. The average church today, 90% of the congregations um, in a Protestant church are non-Hispanic whites. A recent survey by Lifeway Research found that of the 1,007 Protestant churches that they talked to, 87% were overwhelmingly predominantly one race that of multi-ethnic churches in the United States, there are only 137 of all churches are multi-ethnic, and only 14% of evangelical churches are uh, uh, multi-ethnic. So there's something that's, I guess, askew, that there's still a separation between humanity and we're not coming together. So the problem is this, that right from the garden... There has been a separation. It continues to be a separation today. So what's our problem? Our problem is, it's not racial. Our problem is that we're separated from God. That outside of Christ, we have a moral corruption. Outside of Christ, there's guilt. Outside of Christ, there's condemnation. Outside of Christ, there's alienation from God. What God has done for us in Christ is this. He has taken the dividing line between humanity and he's removed the dividing line and brought us together in one person. There's this doctrine that's called justification by grace alone. And in this doctrine, what Jesus did is this. Doctrine of justification is that we are saved by God's free grace. It says that we've been pardoned from all our sins. We're accepted as righteous, In his sight. This doctrine is not based on your character or your color. It's not based on your conduct. It's based on the character and conduct of the one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Jesus did for you and for me is this He credited to our accounts, if we trust in Him, His salvation, His grace. That what He did was He completely and totally satisfied the justice of God. For all of humanity, trust in Him. There's only one person who did that. And there's only one condition in that relationship. That condition is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because it's a gift in Him. So that you stand today, and I stand today, if you trust in Him, righteous in His sight, one with Him. We're declared not guilty, we're declared with no penalty. You're not merely neutral in the sight of God, you are righteous in the sight of God. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, and even that faith that God has given us was granted to us as a gift. So that's a change of perspectives. In Romans chapter 1, it says, I'm a debtor to both Greeks and barbarians, both wise and the unwise. What Paul was recognizing is this, that his salvation um, was coming by one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was out to share that gospel message with other people. See, I think that if we live our lives by a gospel focus, that the cross is really the only sure foundation for healing and restoration. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, what Jesus said is this. Through the apostle Paul, he said this. And he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live over the face of the earth, having determined allotted allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling. One blood, one man one people see i think that racial harmony is not an issue of social differences racial harmony is about understanding that we live under one blood see if if i can get into my mind if you can get into your mind that we've been made one man from every nation see there's a unification in this gospel that the gospel was given to all of humanity so that every tribe and every tongue would see him and to be able to savor him. And for those that did not trust in him, they would be separated from him. Not according to racial lines, cultural lines, but according to the line of Christ. So there's really only one race. But really, there's actually two. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter said this, For you are a chosen people. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a nation for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. So, in one sense, humanity is only one race because we were all created in Adam. But in a second sense, there are two those that are redeemed and those that are unredeemed, those that are in Christ and those that are outside of Christ, those who have trusted in him and those who have not. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, because of Adam's disobedience, not only would human beings return to dust, but their hearts died to God as well, for in Adam, all died. Or in Psalm 14, it says this, they have all turned aside, together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. The depravity that God talks about in these passages has nothing to do with cultural differences. It has to do with who do you trust in? See, there's going to be a time in Matthew that Jesus gives that he says in the future he is going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep from the goats. The sheep he is going to, those are those that have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And that's it. And those who are considered goats, who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, has nothing to do with race. It has to do with, do I trust in God alone? Do I trust in Christ alone? So what's our problem? I think our problem is sin. The problem has been here from the very beginning. Sin is deep. Sin divides. Sin deceives. And all of the visions that we have today, it's because of sin. I think our problem is also the fact that we think that there are multiple races. There aren't. There's only one race, the human race. Human race who has fallen in sin if you're not in Christ. That we have cultural differences. The beauty of different cultures is the fact that God shows himself as being so amazing in creation. That as you look out at a congregation and see different faces and different cultures and different languages, it's the fact that it shows the beauty of God and the wonder of God. He didn't just create one person. He created multiple people from different tribes and tongues. And when we go to heaven, there's not going to be the white culture and the black culture and the Hispanic culture. It's going to be one culture, one under Christ. So what's our problem? Our problem is sin separates. Our problem is that we have a misconception about race. Our problem is that we're missing the gospel. Our problem is that we're missing opportunities. Can I turn with one passage, one more passage I want you to consider in Galatians chapter one, two. In Galatians chapter two. See, Peter, Peter was the chief apostle. Peter was given the gospel message to take to this world. Peter was this leader of this band. And after Jesus had died and gone to heaven, Peter was set up as the leader of this group of people that were given this gospel message. Now, Peter had this opportunity to go out and share it. And if you remember in the book of Acts, Peter gets this dream and God brings down this this blanket full of food and there was some food on there that he says I can't eat and God says kill and eat and Peter says I'm not eating it and God says kill and eat it I'm not eating it kill and eat it and in that story right afterwards Peter was told to go to a Gentile home and preach the gospel to somebody that was not a Jew somebody that was different from him from a different culture and Peter started to do that and he started to see that God was going to use this gospel message to get to every tribe and every tongue but in Galatians chapter 2 we've got a problem Peter comes to these Galatian believers and when his friends are not around his Jewish friends are not around Peter's is sitting down and eating with them he's fellowshipping with them he is socializing with them he is connecting with them great relationship But then something changes. His friends start to come. Verse 11, when Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before there were certain men who came from James, from Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles. And then he came and he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, fearing his Jewish believers. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel, the truth of the gospel, Cephas said before all of them, if, I, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? Let me see if I can give it to you. Peter was given the gospel. The gospel was called to go out to every tribe and tongue. Peter was fellowshipping with people who looked different than him. Really good. But when Peter had his own people come, now Peter separates. Peter wants to act differently. He wants to separate himself from people from different cultures. Why? Because of bigotry. And what Paul was so concerned about was this. When you separate horizontally, you're not showing the vertical beauty of the gospel. That you're hindering the gospel message when there is a separation culturally, when there's a separation racially, when there's a separation ethnically. When you put yourself into certain groups, you're not showing the wonder of the gospel that can unify people. And Paul was not as concerned about the racial issues as much as he was concerned about the gospel. So, So it gets me thinking about this. If in the gospel I can understand who I am, that I'm loved and I'm accepted, that I'm forgiven, that I'm redeemed by God. I'm ransomed by God. That if I can go back to the gospel and recognize that if I have been the oppressed person who feels that he's been pushed down, that the gospel tells me that I am healed and I can forgive the oppressor. If, on the other hand, that I have been the oppressor that has pushed down other people, the gospel tells me that I can be forgiven in my racist and oppressing attitudes. See, the gospel tells me that I can be free, that there's a freedom that is there, freedom from guilt, freedom from bitterness. See, the gospel sets me free into the fact that I have an image from God, that I am not only created in the image of God, but I've been stamped with the image of Christ. See, the gospel tells me that not only do I have forgiveness, but I have a family. See that I have a family of believers that may look different than me, that speak differently than me, but we are bound together in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think, to end it, I want you to consider that our viewpoints about one another are mostly based on what the world says or based on what the scriptures say. And I think the dilemma that we have today is this. Most of the struggles that we have culturally is the fact that we just don't listen to one another. Or we listen to those outside and we don't listen to what God says. That these are my people, that this is my family. That we're connected in harmony with one, one another. So what's our problem? Our problem is sin. Sin separates us from one another. It shouldn't be surprising that it will separate us on color barriers. Sin is deceptive, it's deep, It's destructive. What's our problem is that we have lost opportunities for the gospel to go out, because what we've done is we've worried so much about how somebody looks or speaks versus understand that the gospel is for everyone, and that we're supposed to take it to the ends of the earth. What's our problem? I think misconceptions. We read into scriptural cultural biases rather than reading out of Scripture what God tells us. So what's our hope? Our hope is the gospel. See, Christ didn't come down here to die for one race of people or one culture of people. Christ came to die for all of humanity from every culture, tribe, and tongue. The end of the story. So I told you the first time I heard this word. I was walking along the street corner and I heard um, this word rang out. And it got me wondering about my own identity it caused me to feel inferior, down. But in Christ, I'm infinitely loved, I'm totally accepted, I'm completely forgiven. Second story. This woman tells me that she can't counsel with me. Why can't she counsel with me? Because I am an African American, she was white. Now, if I didn't know my identity, I could have attacked her. I chose not to. What I chose to do was to show her the gospel. I chose to forgive her. I chose to understand that except for the grace of God, I could do the exact same thing as she. I chose to bring her to the foot of the cross. I chose to say to her, you know what, we got to meet anyway. You're here. Why don't we just meet and sit down? We sat down for that first session and for the next one. And the next one. And the next one. She named her first son after me. That's not an applause here. That's an applause vertically. Because what the gospel can do is this. It can take through all of the misconceptions and all of the hurts and all of the anger. And it can bring Unity. See, if I elevated my cultural differences in her face, we would have just gone to war horizontally. But she was at war vertically. I needed her to be able to see vertically she was at war. She was separated from God. She needed the gospel of God's amazing grace, and that when she received the gospel of God's amazing grace, it dealt with the horizontal issues in life. Third thing. So, I can't pastor a church who looks differently than me. I look out at a congregation of people that look different than me. And I can pastor the church. Is that personal? I, mean, I guess it is, but it's mostly spiritual. That what God does in humanity's life is He can change you. He can change beliefs that you have about one another. He can change divides. He can bring two people together as one. So I guess what I ask you is this as we close. What separates you today? I've talked about the topic of race, but what is it that separates you today? Maybe it's in a marriage. Maybe you're separated. Maybe it's between family members fathers and daughters, mothers and sons. What is it that separates you? Maybe there's somebody even in this congregation today that you're not comfortable with and you won't talk to. I don't know what it is that separates. But what the gospel is supposed to do is to bring healing and restoration and oneness under one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray. that you would help us to see the wonder of the oneness of Christ. Father, there are so many people today in this world that just want to separate themselves from one another, separate themselves on cultural lines, separate themselves on ethnic lines, separate themselves even on denominational lines. And what we do is this just this separation after separation after separation after separation. Father, I think oftentimes it's because we're afraid. We're afraid of one another. I think at times, Father, it's because of pride. We think we're better. Father, oftentimes it's because of hate that's in our hearts. Father, maybe it's at times because of our own inferiority. Lord, please forgive us. Lord, forgive us for anything that separates us. Whether it's husband or wife or father and son or daughter and mother or friend to friend, Father, help us to see that the beauty of the gospel is our only hope. See, the gospel is this, that, Lord, we need to trust your son alone and that he binds us together. He took it all for us. So, Father, I pray that that would lead us to a gospel focus, to see the gospel made true in our lives, that that becomes our identity. I pray that you help us to have a gospel freedom, Father, that understanding that I think can be free of the oppression. Lord, I pray that you give us a gospel uh, focus as family as well, that you remind us that we have one family, a family in Christ. So, Father, free us today, heal us today, unify us today. For the glory of your name, in Jesus' name, amen.